Let me ask you to take your Bible, please, and turn with me to Esther chapter 5. Uh, This brings us to the halfway point in the book of Esther at the fifth chapter. We're going to look, originally intended to look at the whole chapter, but we're going to stop about the middle of the way through it with verse 8, and we'll pick up next week and cover a little more ground. I think chapter 5 verse 9 goes with chapter 6 all the way through verse 14. We'll try to look at that next week, but let's read tonight. And we'll pick up with verse 15 of chapter 4 and then read chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. So let's hear now Esther chapter 4, verse 15, picking up there. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. While the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace, and when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to the feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, Let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you for your word. And um, Lord, we're thankful how through the book of Esther, you are demonstrating to us how you watch over and care for your people. Lord, you're so careful. You're so kind. We ask tonight that you would open our hearts to observe your providence in our own lives and uh, order our lives accordingly. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. As we come to this chapter, one of the things we remember is that the end of Esther 4 left us, in in some sense, in an even more desperate situation than the end of chapter 3 where Uh, The decree had been made by Haman, ordered by Haman and the king for the destruction of the Jews. This entire people to be uh, destroyed within just a few months. Uh, Not only now were Mordecai and the Jews threatened, but at the end of chapter 4, Esther herself had placed her own life on the line. And we're reminded 
by all of this that no matter how secure we can feel, God can remove that feeling of security at any moment. How you and I respond to those moments when that security is removed teaches us a lot about our own faith, where we really stand, what we are trusting in. They teach us what or whom we are looking to. God, think about this, God through a simple act of disrespect that in that moment seemed like nothing. Mordecai simply displaying his displeasure with the choice of Haman to serve in that role. That simple act brought Mordecai's whole world down. He rightly responded in sackcloth and ashes. But what what is God's disposition toward his people? That's one of the questions that's facing us. How does God, how is God going to act toward his people now that they are in this place of potential death? Will God come to their aid? Was his favor toward them totally gone? Was there any point to praying and fasting? What about you? Is there a point at which prayer to God does no good? Are you in a point in your life where it is you are beyond hope, where God will not listen to you anymore, where your situation is completely hopeless, where God will not answer you? Tonight, we will begin to get some answers to those questions as we look at Esther chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. The first, four vo- vo- uh, the first four verses demonstrate how Esther won the king's favor. Notice with me in verse 1 that on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. Uh, what's happened up to this point? Well, a fast was declared to all the Jews. And so probably we ought to expect that at least all of the Jews in the citadel, in the capital city of Susa, along with Esther and Mordecai and her ladies' maids, were fasting. Now, we're never told by the text specifically that they were praying. But we probably ought to assume that. In Jewish culture, fasting went along with prayer. It was the thing you did. It was the spiritual discipline that you performed to seek God's favor. You were making a declaration. I'm putting away that which my body needs in order to pursue that which my soul needs. Esther entered the court then to seek Ahasuerus' favor at the end of that fast. She broke her fast, in a sense, by going into the king's court to seek his favor. She has spent these three days, we ought to believe, seeking God's favor. Now she will go before the king. 
And we have every reason to believe that when Esther entered that court, the king would totally reject her. Why is that? Well, the king hadn't summoned her for 30 days. Esther herself didn't believe that he would receive her. Esther herself believed that she would be rejected. But the unexpected happened. Ahasuerus granted her favor. He lowered his scepter to her to demonstrate welcome. And one of the fundamental questions that you and I must ask and answer as we think about that whole circumstance is this. In whose hands was Esther's life? In whose hands did Esther's life rest? Was she lucky? Was this... Uh, the, the favor of Ahasuerus, was that the result of fate? Was fate smiling upon her? One of the things that you ought to notice as you contrast Vashti and Esther, notice that Vashti rebelled against the king and experienced his wrath. Here, Esther defied the law of the land and received favor. How do you explain the distinction between the two? What made the difference? Was it just that Vashti had served her time and finally the king rejected her? Or ought we look to something else? How do you account for the difference? Well, we understand what makes the difference. God made the difference. Although to you and me, as we look on this subject, as we look upon this context, uh, we think that Esther's life here, there's a 50-50 chance. This whole thing is a roll of the dice. Esther's life never hung in the balance. There is a sense in which her life was never at risk. You know that from an eternal perspective, Esther was merely walking in a path that had been set down for her from all eternity. How is this a comfort to us? Because we are never subject to the unknown. This is what we mean when we speak of God's providential care. There's nothing in the text to say to us that Esther, Esther rested upon her knees one day in the inner court and all of a sudden there appeared the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel said to Esther, when you go before the king, this is what's going to happen. But when we understand God's providential care for us, even when we don't hear from an angel, and you never will, you can go forward with the same confidence even in the midst of circumstances that seem as they, though they are set against you because God is with you. He has ordered your path even though you cannot see it. He is with you. One of the questions though that we often wrestle with with reference to God's providence is this. 
if God is watching over me in this way, is there really any point in planning? For instance, we know that we are facing plague and famine in our country. Is there a point if God is, if God, all of these things come from God's hands and he has ordained the very beginning and the end of this whole thing from before the foundation of the earth, is there any point to planning Should I invest in the stock market, for instance? Should I think about my retirement? Should I buy food for Thanksgiving that occurs in a couple of weeks because I know that turkeys are going to be gone? What's the point of planning? Well, the next part of this text teaches us that God's providence did not mean Esther did not have to act with wisdom and shrewdness. In fact, it was God's providence that encouraged her to do so. Notice with me in verses 5 to 8 how uh, Esther acted with wisdom and shrewdness. Then the king said, after Esther had invited him to a banquet along with Haman, the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. Ahasuerus then promised her. So the king uh, and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared, and as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish? It shall be granted you, and what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled." One of the things that we find here in this second part of this, or second scene of this act, is that Ahasuerus, again, demonstrated his own personal rashness. You remember that when this man drinks a lot of wine, his judgment totally goes out the window. Do you think that Esther knew that? Do you think that Esther knew a banquet with the king would certainly lead perhaps to a more favorable circumstance? Of course she did. Ahasuerus became the rashest man of all. It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. Note though Esther's response to him when he first showed favor to to her. Bring Haman... And let's have a banquet. Why is the presence of Haman important to this whole banquet? Why not right there when the scepter is lowered to her, why would she not say, well, here's my request. I want you to undo the decree that you've made. She she has the moment, doesn't she, of the king's favor. Why not take advantage of that? Because Esther knew. Thus far, Ahasuerus has demonstrated that he is a man who is keen to seek counsel before he makes his decisions. Even though he's a silly man and makes silly decisions, he did seek the counsel of his men. Esther knew that having Haman there would make the decision quicker with less chance for interference. She is a shrewd woman. She knew, knows what she is doing. And notice Esther's response in verse 7. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, 
If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Notice very carefully Esther's request. Look at it again. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request. In other words, if you really mean what you say, and if you are really prepared to grant me whatever I ask, demonstrate that you are prepared to grant me whatever I ask by doing this one thing. Come to a banquet. Show me that you are really ready by coming to a banquet tomorrow. Do you see what Esther has done? She has subtly secured the king's approval without actually revealing to him what she wants. She has positioned him by getting his answer to her request without telling him what it is. So that one commentator notes this, Esther manages to achieve her goal without ever disclosing the object of the play. By saying yes to the banquet, in other words, Ahasuerus has in effect said yes to the release of the Jews. This scene teaches us some important lessons. On the one hand, we see Esther's prowess. This is a smart woman. And we remember that way back in the court when she was preparing to win the favor of, of Ahasuerus in the very beginning, she had won the favor of everybody in the harem. Esther did not go before the king without a contingency. She was a woman who knew how to win the favor of men. Rest assured that she planned what to do if the scepter ascended to her, and she planned what to do if it did not. In this way, she demonstrated wisdom. On the other hand, we see something even more profound. Think about this for, for just a second. Esther and the Jews fasted, seeking the favor of the unseen God, and he granted it. Do you notice that in this passage? God granted favor to Esther and Mordecai. Is that unexpected to you? Esther's wisdom and skill were entirely futile apart from God's working to give her favor. If Mordecai or if Ahasuerus had never let that scepter down, 
all of the planning that Esther had made would have been a moot point. In this scene, we see not only God's providence at work, but we see that He is working in favor of His people. Why is this such a surprise? Well, because you and I remember that at this point in history, this is on the backside of God's divorce decree. And not only that, but this is on the backside of Mordecai and Esther rebelling against God to pursue the queenship in Persia. But how does this help you? Well, because you too should be assured of God's kindness toward you when you seek to do His will. The best laid plans cannot succeed apart from God's favor. Do you know that? Even when those plans are made against you, when men plan your harm, no plans can succeed apart from God's favor. Although Esther demonstrated incredible tact, incredible shrewdness, she is maneuvering uh, this whole scenario with Ahasuerus and Haman. She is playing them like an instrument. It would have meant nothing if Ahasuerus had not lowered his scepter. Turn over with me to James chapter 4, verse 13. James, which is, some would say, the the book of Proverbs worked out in practical circumstances here. James has a lot to teach us about prayer and wisdom and practicality. And in James chapter 4, verse 13, he addresses those who, uh, businessmen who say, Come uh, now, you who say in verse 13, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Do you see, this is God's will for you as His people. He wishes to give you success as you seek Him and ask for it. The two go together. God does not ordain the uphill climbs in your life because He enjoys afflicting you. He does so to drive you to prayer. And this is one of the things that we notice. God's providence toward Esther and Mordecai, He is driving them to prayer. He is driving them to seek Him. He wants you to seek His grace. He wants you to ask for wisdom. It is His will that you ask Him for provision. 
And He wants to deliver it to you through these men's, these means. We think about Joseph in his circumstance. He was repeatedly thrust into difficult circumstances. He was sold into slavery and eventually he was uh, falsely imprisoned. But he kept on entrusting himself to the Lord. When God delivered Joseph from his multi-year imprisonment, Joseph gave credit to God. Another important lesson to take from this is that trust in the Lord through prayer should not be an excuse not to plan. So we see both things demonstrated here. There's, there's praying and fasting, and while you are praying and fasting and asking for wisdom, you are setting your mind to a plan. What will we do? And this is exactly what Esther was doing. But we also do not pray and not plan. It is wrong to plan and not pray. It is also wrong to pray and not plan. Can you imagine if I sat down this week, instead of studying, preparing a sermon, I simply said, Lord, give me a sermon. Lead me to a sermon. Give me a message. Some folks actually do that. Others will say, Lord, I don't want to study from my algebra test. It said, please give me the knowledge that I need to pass it. But, but sometimes we can do that in life, can't we? We begin to entrust ourselves to all the practical things that will bring us success. If I dress a certain way, if I show up to work early, if I do all the extra stuff and put in the work and the effort and the labor, surely I'm going to get the promotion. If I submit the application and do my best on the ACT, I've got a 32 score. Surely I will get the, the college admission that I want. No. You see, Esther had a plan and she had a petition. Esther went to the Lord and took everything to the Lord and she planned. And that is what God teaches us in His Word. Both go together. We pray and we plan. We plan and we pray. And this is how we bring honor and glory to God as we face difficult circumstances, difficult providences. Let's pray now. Father, We confess to you that so often we are very content with our own wisdom, thinking that we've experienced so much of life that we know all the inputs and the outputs. We know what to put here to get uh, to there. And Father, so often you demonstrate to us that our wisdom is futile because you are the one who gives success to our plans so often, like the men in James, we think that we've got the new hot product, we've got the thing that everybody is going to want, or we've got the, the great idea that everybody's going to want to hear and gather around. And we forget, Lord, that if you are not in those plans, they will fail. Father, help us to have the humility 
to seek your favor, to petition you, to face circumstances with courage because we know that you are our great God. And as well, to make our plans to do good, to honor you with them. Father, give us this kind of wisdom we ask in Christ's name.